Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books, not just one scripture of the Bible. And I will be sharing commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Hi, Bible truth learners. I hope today find you and your family well. I am returning to the New Testament just for this weekend. Next weekend, I will be returning and teaching from the Old Testament. There is some information I think you guys need to hear in the Old Testament as it relates to the children of Israel, uh, women being leaders, and a bunch of other stuff. But for this weekend, I chose to teach from another one of the Apostle Paul's letters he wrote to the New Testament church. These two letters he wrote to the Thessalonians. Yes, the Thessalonians who lived in Thessalonica. Now, when Paul parted from Barnabas, and you can read about that in Acts 15, 36 through 41, at the beginning of what is called his second missionary journey, he chose Silas as his traveling companion. Soon afterwards, he took Timothy along with him. You can also read about that in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Paul was now clearly at the head of his own missionary band. At about A.D. 50, he arrived in Greece for the first time in making converts in Philippi and soon afterwards in Thessalonica. He was beset by persecution from Jews and Gentiles alike. Moving on to Berea, he was again harassed by enemies from Thessalonica and hurriedly left for Athens. I would have too. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16 verse 11 and chapter 17 verse 15. Silas and Timothy remained behind for a while, but Paul soon sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to strengthen that community in its trials. Timothy and Silas finally returned to Paul when he reached Corinth. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. Probably in the early summer of AD 51, Timothy's return with a report on conditions at Thessalonica served as the occasion for Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Now, the letter begins with a brief address and concludes with a greeting, as in all of Paul's letters. The body of the letter consists of two major parts. The first is a set of three sections of thanksgiving connected by two defenses, dealing respectively with the missionaries' previous conduct and their current concerns. Paul's thankful optimism regarding the Thessalonians' spiritual welfare is tempered by his insistence on their recognition of the selfless love shown by the missionaries. 
In an age of itinerant peddlers of new religions, Paul found it necessary to emphasize not only the content of his gospel, but also his manner of presenting it, for both attested to God's grace as freely bestowed and powerfully effected. The second part of Paul's letter is specifically hortatory or paranetic. The superabundant love for which Paul has just prayed in 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13 is to be shown practically by living out the norms of conduct that he has communicated to them. Specific imperatives of Christian life principles for acting morally stem from the indicative of our relationship to God through Christ by the sending of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, moral conduct is the practical personal expression of one's Christian faith, love, and hope. This is what Paul was trying to get across and encourage and continue to enforce to the Thessalonians. Now, the principal division of the first letter to the Thessalonians are the following. Paul addresses them. He acknowledges the previous relationship with the Thessalonians and he is specific in his exhortations and then finally his greetings. Now, I will be reading and teaching from the NIV today, the New International Version. Now, for those of you who are listening for the first time, it doesn't matter which version of the Bible you may be reading from. When you are listening to me, trust me, in the end, you and I will be in the same place. Now, with that said, I hope you are in chapter 1 and verse 1 in 1 Thessalonians. I am commencing to reading. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul is writing on behalf of himself, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Verse 2. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompt by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse four, for we know brothers and sisters loved by God that he has chosen you. Verse five, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Verse six, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Verse seven, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse eight, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Verse nine, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. 
They tell how you turn to God from idols, praise God, to serve the living and true God, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The coming wrath, my brothers and sisters, is judgment day. Christians, those who are in Christ Jesus or those who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior will not experience God's wrath. We will not be judged by God before the great white throne judgment on judgment day. God promised that every believer, those who are in Christ Jesus, will not suffer his wrath. Okay, that is the most important benefit of accepting Christ. Those who are in Christ will not, like Paul just said, let me read verse 10 again. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath, who rescues us. Now, let's enter into chapter two. And if I didn't mention earlier, First Thessalonians has five chapters. The second letter Paul wrote to the Thessalonians has three chapters, okay? So we won't be that long today. I am reading verse one of chapter two in 1 Thessalonians. And for those of you who are just joining in, I am reading from the New International Version, the NIV. Verse one, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Verse two, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Verse three, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you like people are doing today. Ooh, uh, that's a whole nother teaching, but let me stick to this, this story here, this lesson here. Verse four, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And see right here, this message is for the leaders here. We are to preach the gospel, which is Jesus and him crucified and the forgiveness of sins. We should not be teaching our own program. We should not be teaching and preaching our own personal ideas. We need to stick with the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. You will not find one letter in here by, written by the apostles where they strayed away from the gospel. Jesus Christ was always included. Now let's pick up at verse five. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Verse six, we were not looking for praise from people in your version of the Bible. It may say man, same thing. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Verse seven, instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Verse eight, 
So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. He's talking to Christians, not non-believers, not unsaved people, not worldly people. He's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. Verse 11, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Verse 12, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Verse 13, and we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. That's the qualifier. The work of God or the word of God is at work in people who believe. Okay. Verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. Verse 15, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, the prophets of old, like Daniel and Isaiah and Hosea, who prophesied about the coming of the Lord Jesus, the Jews killed Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone. Verse 16, in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. The arrival of God's wrath on the Jews cannot be a reference to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, an event that took place two decades prior to Paul's writing. Now, the widespread difficulties undergone by Jewish settlements throughout the Mediterranean may have been viewed by the apostle as a foretaste of the coming wrath from which Jesus rescues believers. Now, Paul may have had in mind the recent AD 49 expulsion of the Jews from Rome by edict of the Emperor Claudius, which accounted for the presence in Corinth. Okay, Paul was in Corinth when he wrote 1 Thessalonians of his friends Priscilla and Aquila who were among those banned, okay? Now, let's pick up at verse 17. I just wanted to explain to you what Paul was talking about when he talked about the uh, coming wrath of God and, and it had come upon them, not just yet, because Paul is talking about the day of judgment. That's what he is talking about now, verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in prison, not in thought. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Verse 18. 
For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Satan was always putting a stumbling block in the apostles' way, just like he does today, put a stumbling block in God's true minister's ways to keep them from preaching the gospel. But he ain't stopping me. I'll preach the gospel if my lungs collapse. Oh, trust what I tell you. Verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Verse 20, indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now we are moving into chapter three, beginning at verse one. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Verse two, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Verse three, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials because they were going through, they were being persecuted just like the apostles, but Paul is encouraging them and thanking them for standing fast, not turning away from Christ just because of the persecution. Now the latter part of verse three, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. Them what? The persecutions. Verse four. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that that way, as you well know, verse five, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter, who is also known as Satan, had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Verse six, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. See, that is all the apostles were worrying about is that the Christians stay in the faith. The faith is Christ. There is no different faith. There's only one faith. That faith is in Jesus and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Verse seven, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Hallelujah. Stand strong in the faith, saints. That is my word to you. Stand strong in the faith. Don't let no one deceive you and tell you that you can get to God another way, because this thing is all about Jesus. The entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus. Verse eight, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Verse nine, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11, now may our God and father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Verse 12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Verse 13, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. 
Paul is encouraging them to live holy. He is encouraging them to stick together. He is encouraging them to love one another. That is what Christians are supposed to do. But we don't see that today. We see division. We see discord. We see unholiness upon unholiness, even from pastors in the church running rampant, not teaching from the scriptures. See, we don't just read a verse and then go off on a tangent. We supposed to read whole letters in the church. But no, we have lights, camera, action, shows being put on in the church. And I'm here to tell you, I'm taking a stand. And I'm not the only one taking a stand. That is not what God's will is. That is not God speaking to you from the pulpit today. Reading a scripture, a verse. These entire letters have meanings. The scripture is embedded in the meaning of the letter. So we shouldn't just be reading a verse. We need to be reading entire letters. Now, let me move on to chapter four, verse one. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. See, and this is where the church takes a turn. Christians are not being told how we should live. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And when you do tell them, they run to a church that's telling them what they want to hear. A church that's set up by another spirit. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to I don't want to digress too much on that. But a church that's set up by another spirit other than the spirit of the Holy Spirit. OK, let me read verse one again of chapter four. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Verse two. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus gave them the, the authority to tell them how they should be living. That's right. And that means living a holy lifestyle. Uh, verse three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, meaning set apart from the world. OK, that you should avoid. Here we go. Sexual immorality. Verse four, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Now, sexual immorality involves sleeping or having sex with someone that you are not married to. Um, a married person sleeping with someone outside of their marriage, which is called adultery or homosexuality, uh, women sleeping with women and men sleeping with men, all of which can you can be delivered from, you can be cleansed from. And such were some of these people in the uh, church at Thessalonica. Yes, even at Corinth, when Paul said, such were some of you mean this is past tense. God can deliver you from anything, anything. All of us had something to be delivered from, okay? So if you are still practicing the very sins that Christ died for you uh, to be delivered from, there's, uh, I would think there is an implication that the spirit of God is not in you because the conviction would be so strong, you wouldn't do it. So if you are freely continuing to do these things, I suggest that you go and really truly accept Christ. You only have to accept him one time. 
either you accept him in your spirit, believe and receive him in your spirit, or you just mentioned him with your mouth. And if you just mentioned him with your mouth, you really didn't receive him. Because I'm telling you, the person that I used to be, friends will tell you, I am no longer that person. You cannot come in contact with Christ and remain the same. And I am a living witness today. You cannot come in contact with the living Christ and be the same person you were before you met him. It is literally impossible. You just can't do it. Verse five, not in passionate lust like the pagans. Now the pagans were a, an, an idle group of people back in the Rome empire back then. Okay. They were pagan worshipers and they did everything amoral and immoral under the sun. And it involved sexual immorality in their practices. So this is why Paul is saying in verse five, not in passionate lust, like the pagans who do not know God. Let me say that again. Who do not know God, verse six, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Ooh, my Lord, the Lord will punish all. Let me hear you say all, all, all excludes no one. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before verse seven for god did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life verse eight therefore anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but god the very god who gives you his holy spirit now what is paul talking about here He's sharing this with you, just like I am. And if you reject it, you're not rejecting me because it really doesn't matter to me whether you do it or not. You are rejecting the word of God. And what Paul is saying, if the spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit, is really embedded in your heart, if it's really sealed in your heart, God knows what you are doing and you are grieving that Holy Spirit. And this is why I say, if the spirit of God was really in you, the conviction would be so strong. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. You have to prepare to involve yourself in sexual immorality. You have to prepare that. It, it doesn't just happen. You would feel that conviction and you wouldn't want to do it. You will feel that remorse and say, mm -mm, I can't do it because everybody is tempted because we are in this old flesh. Everyone is tempted who has the spirit of God in them, the worldly people, this is not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to Christians. I am teaching and reading to Christians. The only thing we should be telling worldly people is the gospel. We can't judge their sins. We need to tell them the gospel and let Jesus do the deliverance. But God has teachers in his ministry for a reason. It is our responsibility. First, we must apply the word to ourselves. We must live and practice what we preach first. OK, and then we ought to admonish the Christians in church. OK, and I don't see a lot of that being done today. Let's pick pick up at verse nine. Now about your love for one another. Here we go. We do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Verse 10. And, and in fact, 
you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Paul said, look, continue to love one another. That's one thing the Thessalonians did not lack, and that's love for one another. Love for our brothers and our sisters. Verse 11, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And what Paul is saying here, um, if you mind your own business and do what is expected of you in the Lord, outsiders will see just how obedient you are to God. Because you have to remember, we are on a world stage. I personally think, and I hope I'm wrong, that Christianity has been so damaged by unfaithful Christians who has allowed the devil to come in and lead them until people are no longer believing in Christ. And that's so sad to me. It is just so sad. It brings me to tears that we have Christians who act so worldly, people don't know that they are believers. And so what Paul is saying in verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. You won't have to depend on non-believers. And for the most part, you won't have to depend on your sisters and brothers. But let's not misunderstand this because in the book of Acts, all of the collections that were taken up were, were for believers. So if your brothers and sisters have a need and you have the means to share, we have an obligation to share and help them. I don't see that going on in the church today because the, the crooked pastors that Satan set up and some of them are bishops, Satan placed them in the uh, body of Christ to rob you of your money. They are greed. And I saw one of them and I'm gonna tell you his name. His name is T.D. Jakes. When this pandemic hit, I saw him on a world stage fall apart. He was worried about the money. All he was doing, he wasn't telling people about healing and walk by faith, not by sight, and that we were gonna be okay. He was telling people, don't stop giving, keep sending your money in. And he revealed to me he was false. That should have been the last thing on his mind was telling people to send money in. It should have been. Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruit. And y'all better wake up with all these false teller evangelists here. A tree is known by its fruit. Just because someone claims to be a man of God doesn't mean they are. Just because they say the name of Jesus doesn't mean they are. Because Paul is clear. They have transformed themselves into apostles of Christ. So just because they say the name Jesus, and also Jesus said in Matthew that the, many of you will come to me on that day, what day, the day of judgment, saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Okay, so don't fall because somebody claimed to be teaching in the name of Jesus here. And Jesus says, I never knew you. So I'm telling you, you have a responsibility to watch out for what you are hearing and what you are receiving in your heart. You have a responsibility for that. And us true teachers have a responsibility to warn you and tell you. A tree is known by its fruit. A lemon tree, or let me say this, an apple can't produce a lemon. Mm -mm. An apple tree cannot produce a lemon. 
An apple tree cannot produce a pear. If it's an apple tree, it's going to produce apples. So the word is simple. We are following some of these false teachers because that they are saying things y'all want to hear. And y'all think because they claim to be a man of God and it's coming out of his mouth that it's from God. No, it's not. And if you read the Bible, you will see who is misleading you. All you have to do is read because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you don't know the word of God, you won't know who's deceiving you. But I can tell you this. You can't deceive me and I am not going to mislead you. I'm going to stick with this word. And if if I at some point allow Satan to come in and deceive me, I'll stop preaching until God. I can allow the spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit, to come in and weed out and cleanse out all of that false teaching. Mm -mm. I'm not going to share nothing with you that I can. I cannot back up in scripture. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in, de in death. Now, the word sleep used in the Bible is talking about dead, death, okay? Those who sleep, meaning those who dead, who are dead in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, this is spiritual. We are getting ready to go deep. I want you to put your spiritual hats on so that you can understand what, what Paul just said. Now, back then, some of the Thessalonians had passed away. So those who were members of the body of Christ had inquired about whether or not the ones who passed away would experience the benefits of Christ. And Paul is getting ready to explain to them the difference between Christians who pass away and Christians who are still living. So let's pick up at verse 14. Put your spiritual hats on now. Listen carefully. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, meaning those who have passed away. If you have a loved one who was saved, who was a Christian, who was a believer, who was a child of God through Christ Jesus, if they pass away, they are now with Christ. You don't have to worry about anything. They are in paradise. They are sleeping Jesus. Mary is sleeping Jesus. She is in paradise with Christ. So Paul is comforting them. He is encouraging them to be faithful and stand on the word of God that it is okay. Their loved one who passed away is with Jesus. That is what Paul is talking about. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we, we tell you that we who are still alive, now he's talking about the Christians who are still living, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. What he is saying is the ones who are alive are benefiting from Christ as we live, as we are still alive. And the ones who passed away are benefited in Christ because they are with him right now. They are in peace. OK, they are in peace. He's saying we are not preceding them, meaning we are not going before them. OK, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So what he's saying is the ones who passed away are already with Christ. The dead in Christ will rise first. And, and for those of you 
who um, have been deceived by those who are trying to predict when Christ is coming, uh, remember they have already failed. Every time someone gives a date, oh, well, the end of the world is coming on such and such date. You'll notice that it hasn't happened, right? Because nobody can predict it. The Bible is clear on that, and we are getting ready to read those scriptures. Now, do you see why it's important to read whole letters? Okay. Paul says in verse 16 again, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And, and he's, he's talking about this because he's talking to the ones who are still living, not the ones who passed away. He's talking to the ones who are still living. He's saying if God chooses to, to return right now, if the Lord Jesus chooses to return right now to get his church, this is what is going to happen. This is how he is going to return. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's called the rapture. I've had a discussion with someone that tell me, well, the rapture is not in the Bible. We just read it. Caught, rap, the word rapture means caught up. Caught up in the air together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. You may have a version that says, and so we may forever be with the Lord. It means the same thing. Remember, I told you, it doesn't matter which version you have. When you are learning with me, I'm telling you, we will end up in the same place. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I am encouraging you right now. If the Lord decides to come back today, we will be caught up in the air with him and with our loved ones who were saved before they passed away. Because you need to understand this. Everyone is not saved. Those of your loved ones, and you know who they are, who never accepted Christ and who passed away, they are not with Jesus. They are not with God. Contrary to what you may hear when people pass away, oh, well, he's going to be with the Lord. No, he's not if he wasn't saved. No, he's not. No, uh-uh. Everyone is not saved and everyone is not going to heaven. Now, this subject may be taboo in the world. Because Satan has set up his system to where all religion is accepted. And I want you guys to pay close attention to what I'm getting ready to say. Man set up religion. Man established religion. And it, it started from our government. You give man religion and you can control them. God doesn't accept religion because religion divides. And God does not separate. He is not about division, okay? So we need to encourage one another with these words that if your loved ones passed away who were saved, they are with Jesus. They are at peace. They are fine. And if Jesus Christ happens to return today, I am here to tell you, we will be caught up together in the air with our loved ones who already passed away. I can be comfortable with my mother's passing because I knew or I know that my mother was saved. OK, and if you have a loved one that passed away and they had already accepted Christ before they left this earth, they are with Christ. So we need to comfort one another with this. And we weren't left behind. No. When Jesus Christ returns, if he happens to return while we are still living, what Paul is telling the Thessalonians, he is telling us 
we will all be caught up together in the air. And for those of you who don't believe and not receiving this right now, it's because you don't have the spirit of God in you to help you understand it. If God can create the heavens and the earth, why on earth can he not have all of his chosen people who are in Christ caught up in the air together with Christ? Why can't that happen? See, the problem is y'all are too worldly. Mm-hmm. You guys have allowed Satan to enter into your spirit and set up shop. So you don't understand nothing that's spiritual. What you understand is evil. You are too caught up in the things of the world. The world walks by sight. They don't walk by faith. But Christians has an obligation. It is not an option. We have to walk by faith and not by what we see. Now, let's move on to chapter five. This is the last chapter in the first letter Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Verse one, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Verse two, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, you know what that is referring to? We don't know when a thief is coming. Okay, verse three, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. See, a pregnant woman doesn't know when the labor pains are coming. They just pop up. And what Paul just said, and they will not escape. These are people who are saying that they are peaceful and they are safe here. <laughs> they don't need Jesus. You know, oh no, we are right. We're safe. No, you're not. No, you're not. When you be left behind here, you will find out. You will find out verse four. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Verse 5, you are all children of light. And he's talking about Christians. He ain't talking about the world, because Paul wrote letters to Christians, the body of Christ. Okay, verse 5 again. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Verse 6. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but like us be awake and sober. Verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Verse eight, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Verse nine. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Verse 10. He died for us, for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, doesn't matter if we are alive. The word awake represents the word alive and or asleep represents death. We may live together with him. It doesn't matter if your loved one passed away. We will see them again, those who were saved. Mm -hmm. But if you have a loved one that you loved, I'm sorry, but your love can't save them. They need Jesus. And if they passed away, they're gone to hell. And the problem is too many leaders are walking on eggshells. I'm not walking on eggshells. I need to tell you that if you are going 90 miles per hour around that curve, that if you go that around that curve, you are going to fall off the side and possibly kill yourself. That's what the warning is. And I'm telling you today, those of you who are without Christ, if you pass away, you are going straight to hell. Jesus is the savior. He is the only one who can save you from the wrath 
that's due to come, which is judgment day. And judgment day is not going to be anything nice. Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Verse 12, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you, those who correct you here. Verse 13, hold them in the highest regard or in high esteem, in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Verse 14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. We should not be retaliating. I see a lot of that going on in the body of Christ. I've had people get mad at me uh, for sticking up uh, uh, for what is right. Well, guess what? I choose God. I choose Jesus. I choose righteousness. You may claim to be a Christian, but if you are walking in worldly ways and support worldly ways, I am here to tell you as a leader of the gospel, as a teacher of God's word, you are not a Christian. You are not, Christians don't stand up for worldly things and things that are going on in this world that is supporting unrighteousness, that are supporting injustice, that is supporting hate, and that is supporting division. You are not a Christian. We are supposed to be separate from that. I'm going to digress because we got time a little bit right here to tell you about something that's going on in, in my neighborhood. We have a nurse and her husband uh, who support Black Lives Matter. And their immediate neighbor is a, a single elderly white female who has an American flag in her yard and a Blue Lives Matter flag next to it. Now, the Black Lives Matter uh, um, couple, I don't have to tell you, what ethnicity they are. They are uh, of a, the black ethnicity. There's only one race, so I can't say black race. We don't have a black race, a white race, Hispanic race. That's worldly. The Bible says we have one race so with one blood. So what I will say is uh, different ethnicities. Now, the one who is hostile is the Black Lives Matter couple, okay? Not the husband, uh, per se, but the wife. Now, I have spoken to both of them, not about those issues, um, just saying hi in passing, you know, held a conversation with the white lady. Um, very nice to me. I'm nice to her. Uh, it, there's nothing wrong with her supporting the American flag, supporting the Blue Lives Matter, because the Blue Lives do matter. Um, Personally, you can do away with the flag because I don't worship flags. But if that what if that is what this person represents and, and want to support, that's fine. It has nothing to do with me. The Black Lives Matter uh, couple, the wife, puts this big old cardboard in her windshield facing this lady's door with Black Lives Matter written on it. And she only put it in her window when that lady is home. 
Now, that lady works seven days off and seven days off. And when I say that lady, I'm referring to that elderly white lady. I call her elderly because um, she's in her mid-60s. And that's really not elderly, but hey, she's older than I am. And she's very nice. She talked to me um, with kind words. We, we speak on a regular basis. I just bought a new vehicle. She told me how much she loved my vehicle. And um, we talked about peace. We didn't mention anything else. We just talked about peace because I told her that when I had that incident on uh, the interstate, no one pulled over and, and asked me if I was okay or asked me if I needed any help or asked me was anyone else trapped in the car. And I told her it's because of uh, situations like that, uh, that I am encouraged personally to do more for people. So it really didn't bother me after that day. It bothered me in that moment because I couldn't believe that no one stopped. I couldn't believe it. And then God says, believe it. You know, this is why you should be different. And so she said the same thing. She couldn't believe it. She said, but you know what? Um, that's why I support peace. And I said, so do I. And then I thanked her for um, admiring my new vehicle. And I went on to work. Now, this uh, the Black Lives Matter couple who lives next door to her uh, are very hostile, very. I mean, if you see some of the things this lady put on the cardboard and place it in her windshield facing that lady's door, because this lady has an American flag in her yard and a Blue Lives Matter. Now, let me uh, uh, share, share with you my stance. I don't need anyone to tell me my life matters. Jesus told me my life matters over 30 years ago. So I don't need anyone to tell me that my life matters. I know it matters. My life doesn't matter based on what you say or what you think or what you feel. It doesn't matter. Jesus says my life matters. And as far as the blue, I know a lot of them. I work with them. Some of them are crooked. Some of them are not. I don't support injustice. I do not support violating human rights or violating civil rights. I don't support it. And I will stand on a national stage like I am now and speak against it. But for those officers who put their lives on the line every day for everyone, those law, those officers who are protecting and serving, who are standing firm uh, to the oath that they took before they, they were allowed to work on the streets, I stand with them. I will die alongside of them, but I am against breaking the law. If you are responsible for enforcing the law and upholding the law, you should be held to a higher standard if you break it. So I don't support that, but I support all lives. Okay, that is where I stand with that. Now, let's move on. Let me read verse 15 again. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And if y'all know what's going on in this world today, the world is contrary to this. We should be different and set apart from the world, okay, and its ugly ways. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray continually. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. 
verse 20. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, verse 21, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, verse 22. Reject every kind of evil. Did y'all hear that? Reject every kind of evil. To be involved in injustice and support injustice and then claim to be a Christian, you can't. Okay, because injustice is evil. Okay, the violation of human and civil rights are evil. So we need to understand as Paul says, you need to test them all, meaning you need to compare with the scriptures whether or not what we are supporting is in line with God's will. That's what it means to test. That's why we have all these scriptures here. The problem is you have strayed away from the scriptures. Stick with the scriptures and you can't go, go wrong. Now, because we are human, we may have some negative thoughts uh, creep up in our minds and hearts. But if the spirit, and I mean the Holy Spirit, is within your heart, he'll tell you what's right. He's going to lead you to the scriptures that will tell you this is what you need to follow. So Paul says in verse uh, 21 again, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. A lot of times I think people no longer know the difference between good and evil. Paul says, hold on to what is good. So if you don't know what is good anymore, my guy, you in trouble. You are in trouble. If someone walks up to a two-year-old and take a bat and bust him in the head, do you know some people think that's good? No, it's not. That is the, the epitome of evil. Okay, so you need to know the difference. You need to know you can't support hate. You need to stop pledging your allegiance to man and pledge your allegiance to Jesus if you profess to be a Christian. If you support hate, I don't care what you think. You belong to the devil. You don't belong to God because God is the opposite of hate. And the problem is you, don't, you no longer know the difference between hate and love. And we ought to walk in love since God is the epitome of love. So if you have allowed the devil to deceive you, the good thing about it is after you hear this message, you can get back on track and accept Christ as Lord and Savior. You only have to accept him once. And if the spirit of Christ is in you, because that is God's mystery, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is literally and truly in you, you wouldn't walk in hate because you wouldn't be able to. You wouldn't be able to walk in hate. So you have been deceived if you are supporting hate now and think that you are a Christian. You can't. The two can't co-mingle. Hate and love can't co-mingle with Jesus. It cannot co-mingle or exist together. Now, let's proceed with verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful. That's God. That's Jesus. They are faithful and he will do it. Verse 25, brothers and sisters, pray for us. And I ask you right now, brothers and sisters, to, to continue to pray for me. Verse 26, greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Verse 27, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter not verse, this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. That includes us. We are members of the body of Christ. Paul says that he charged you, and that is us, 
before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now that is the end of the first letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He was in Corinth when he wrote this. Now, since the second letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians only has three chapters, we can move forward. Now, Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians two months after he wrote the first letter. He was still in Corinth as well. So I am sticking with the NIV and I am commencing to reading verse 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, Paul is still writing on behalf of himself, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. This is what is supposed to be happening today amongst the body of Christ. The love we have for one another is supposed to be increasing. Okay, verse four. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Verse five, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. All we have to do is withstand the persecution for living holy, because that is what we are being persecuted for, living holy. Um, let me read verse five again. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Verse six, God is just. He will pay back. He, not us, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Verse seven, and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Trust me, relief is coming, saints. It's coming. We have to encourage one another that relief is coming. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Verse eight, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Verse nine, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Verse 10, on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, us, because you, we believed our testimony to you. Verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompt by faith. Verse 12, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you 
and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice that none of the apostles, not just, just the apostle Paul, none of them mentions God without Jesus, because you can't have one without the other. You can't. Now, chapter 2, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is addressing this again, the return of the Lord, and our being gathered to him, talking about the rapture, being caught up in the air. We ask you, brothers and sisters, verse 2, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, right here, they had some false teachers, as in all the letters, telling the body of Christ that Jesus had already come, that he wasn't returning. And Paul is making this clarification. Okay, verse three. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, and the man of lawlessness, which is Satan, the Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, because that is who Satan is. He is doomed to destruction. Verse 4. He will oppose and will exalt himself over, over everything that is called God. Sounds familiar? What's happening today in America? Or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Verse five, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. Verse six, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time, meaning it hasn't happened yet. The false teachers who had entered that church also, even though they got put out, was trying to tell them Jesus came already. No, certain things has to happen first before the return of the Lord. And it had, this hasn't happened yet. It didn't happen when Paul wrote this letter. And as I am speaking to you right now, it hasn't happened yet. Um, verse six, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Verse seven, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Lawlessness is sin. Sin is running rampant. But the one who, who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Did y'all hear that? Let me read verse 9 again. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Verse 10, and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing because those who are outside of Christ who are being deceived by wickedness are perishing. Okay, this is clear, including some of those who profess to be Christians and supporting and embracing hate. They have been deceived, okay? They are going to perish with the lawless one. Um, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. 
verse 11. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Verse 12. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. My God, my God. So we got to stand firm, saints. Verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you brothers and sisters loved by the lord because god chose you as first fruits thank you lord for choosing me to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the truth the truth is jesus jesus said i am the way the truth and the life and no man comes unto the father except by me hallelujah let me read verse 13 again but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits. He chose us. Everyone in Christ, God chooses, okay? To be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. And through belief in the truth. Verse 14. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. The teachings is the gospel of Jesus. That is what they passed on. That is what the, the traditions of the apostles are teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the words of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Verse 17, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Let me read verse 16 again. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Verse 17, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. Now, the final chapter of the second letter to the Thessalonians, verse one, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Verse two, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not everyone has faith. Say what now? What did Paul say? He's telling you what I already told you during the first letter. Not everyone is saved. Okay. And that's what this means. He's not everyone has faith. Paul is saying not everyone is saved. Verse three, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And that is if you allow him to. Verse four, we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. Verse five, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Verse six, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. 
Now, what Paul is saying is we have some disruptive Christians or so-called Christians in the body of Christ. Paul said that we should keep away from them. I do. We should keep away from them. But I want you to, to pay attention to what Paul uh, is talking about. He's not just saying throw them aside and, and, and you know, and don't pray for them and, and don't share the word with them. He, he has a reason for saying this. Verse seven, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Paul and them were practicing what they preached. We were not idle when we were with you. Verse eight, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Verse nine, we did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate, practice what you preach. Because when Paul says in the early part of verse nine, we did this not because we do not have the right to do such. He's talking about, um, those who are leaders in, in, in the church and, and that's all they do is preach the gospel and work in the ministry. We, as the body of Christ, has an obligation to care for them and provide their needs. That's what Paul is talking about. But they work for their own money. It, do you see that happening today? Uh-uh, you better up some money. We have people selling books from the church uh, making money, the, the pastors are millionaires, and we have people in that belong to that particular ministry who can't even pay their light bills, who can't even pay their light bills and are being given false hope, false hope. Now, if I linger on that too much, I'll get full and sad and start crying. So let me uh, continue. Let me read verse nine again. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, because they do, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Okay. We don't pay people for bad behavior, nor do we support bad behavior in the ministry. I know some right now I work with, they support every bad behavior that is before them. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, they support bad behavior. So they are out of the will of the Lord and they profess to be Christians. They are operating out of the will of the Lord. God never tells us to support bad behavior, not even from a so-called believer. Okay, verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive, meaning they are not working. They are busybodies and they are causing disruption. Okay are not busy, they are busy bodies. Let me read 11 again, because I want you to get this. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Verse 12, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. They have to earn it. Verse 13, and as for you brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. In other words, never get weary in doing good. Always do what's good and always do what's right. Do not support bad behavior. We need to admonish that individual, but admonish them in love. Verse, verse 14, take special note of anyone 
who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. That's why we shouldn't associate with them so that they may feel ashamed. If they reflect on their behavior, they should feel bad. But if they don't feel bad, uh, that is also an indication that the love of God is not in them. Because when you become a Christian, you have to learn what you need to do. Okay, that's why Paul says, don't just, you know, ignore them completely. Verse 14 says, take special note of anyone who does not obey uh, our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Okay, verse 15, yet do not regard them as an enemy. Okay, we have to teach them, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Verse 16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Verse 17, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, this just confirmed Paul did not write Hebrews. Or if Paul wrote the letter to the Hebrews, that means the face sheet was lost and the ending of his letter was lost because Paul always identifies who he is. And he always says at the end of his letters, I, Paul, wrote this letter with my own hands. So the letter to the Hebrews was not written by Paul. OK, <laughs> I just thought I would throw that out there because we have. Uh, some of my uh, brothers and sisters in the ministry who are leaders and, you know, bishops and preachers think that Paul wrote it. And I'm like, Paul didn't write it. If Paul wrote it, he would say he had written it. Paul was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's us. The letter to the Hebrews are not written to Gentiles. They are written to Jews, Hebrews. So um, that's another indication that Paul didn't write that letter. In any event, I hope you were blessed by this episode um what i need you to take away from it is that you need to be encouraged that when you lose a loved one who you know had accepted christ jesus before he or she passed away they are comforted right now they are with the lord they are doing better than us we are still living in hell on earth okay and i need to encourage you to love your brothers and sisters in christ we are not asked to love the people of the world. We are asked to love one another. We are asked to help one another. We are also asked not to support bad behavior. So if you find yourself supporting bad behavior, I'm telling you, you are out of the will of the Lord and we need to show and practice tough love. That's what Paul said. Mm -hmm. We need to admonish him, but not think of this person as an enemy because we need to teach them and we need to let them know that we are not in support of their behavior and we need to make them work for what they need to eat. That's what the Bible says. So we're not talking about the world where, you know, people need to work. We ain't talking about them. The government, let the worldly government help them. We're talking about our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Now, for those who are struggling, especially during this pandemic, if we have the means to help, we need to help. We do. That is an obligation that we have, and that is to take care of one another. So, saints, we are still in this pandemic. 
If you are out in public, please wear your face mask and please practice physical distancing, which is also social distancing. If you practice these things, you can protect yourself and others. So with that said, next week, we will move back into the Old Testament and then back into the New Testament because there are a lot of things I want to share with you guys so that you can grow in faith. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you are not hearing the word of God, it's impossible for you to have faith. So until next time, saints, peace out. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your questions to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com. Or you can send me a direct message by clicking on the message button located on my podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public, and submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing all my podcasts and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your seed. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Now, God will give you a return on your seed as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. The key is having a cheerful heart. Now, until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.